to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that goes deep on all the dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Two Melbourne journalists who only today, after 14 weeks of using this equipment, realised that we could extend our microphone stands instead of putting them on used books. <laughs> we used to have to source books from all around whoever's house we were recording at, when in fact the mic stands, as you can probably imagine because that's what mic stands do, have a little function where you can like screw it and pull it up. 14 weeks. It's, an, it's, <laughs> like, it's, 14 weeks. it's like magic. Hey, coming up on today's show, Miss America has dumped their swimwear component, but does it even matter? Plus the tragic loss of Kate Spade and the strange underground world of influencers injecting themselves with steroids. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a tricky week, but I'm really excited because I'm about to go on an entire 10 days of annual leave, and I'm super excited about that. It's quite a nice feeling when you only have four weeks of leave a year. I Feels know. Like- I know. And I'm about to go away for the weekend and I just feel like I want to read books all week and I want to go to the gym and I want to live my best life. Do you but- have any books to read? Uh, I do. I got books for my birthday and I still haven't had a chance to read them. Getting books for presents is my favorite thing in the world. But when you're working full time and you're reading and you're editing stories every single day, you don't exactly want to come home and read. I haven't read a book in months and it is the only thing I often do for like mindfulness. Yes. So that is why I'm looking forward to going on leave soon too, to actually be mindful and read books. You had a big week. Do you want to tell everyone about your week? You're pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> I got married. Um, none She's of, not pregnant. None of the above. Now it's just not very exciting. No, I quit my job. Is that how you say it? I resigned. I consciously uncoupled from my job. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. Consciously uncoupled. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, it is. It's a weird feeling because I don't think I can understate when you start, and you're exactly the same, when you start working somewhere from the age of about 20 how much of that becomes like your identity and how formative those years are. So it's a very strange feeling. I only have a couple of weeks left. Then I go away and then I start a new job. Yeah. Big week for you. It is a big decision. Quitting a job to me is like breaking up a relationship. It's something that is a huge part of your life. You spend more time at your job than you often do at home. Well, particularly this job in particular, because it wasn't just Monday to Friday, nine to five. Like my shifts were literally all over the place, whether it would be early mornings, late at nights, over the weekends, it seeped into every part and every aspect of my life. So I don't think it was an average job and I, and I really loved it. And I think it's going to be very strange. I think they say that work is a big part of your identity and your, your career, but I think also individual jobs are a huge part of your identity too. Mm. So that will be really interesting sort of finding something else and and being somewhere else, someone else in a different place. Mm. It has been a huge part of your life and it's exciting for you. I know, very strange. Anyway, and it hasn't just been a big week for me as much as you would love to say. Um, it's also been a big week for the Miss America competition. What a segue. I love it. Uh, Thanks yeah. so much. This was an interesting one. Obviously, for those who missed it, we will recap. The Miss America pageants have made the decision that they will no longer have a swimwear component of their pageantry show thingy-majigs. And so, so eloquent. Yeah, I know. That's a really technical way of describing it. It's probably important that we note that Miss America and it is actually a separate entity to the Miss Universe competitions, but uh, pageantry all one and the same, I would argue. Yeah, it is. So this doesn't affect anything to do with Miss Universe or the type of pageants that we see Jen Hawkins or Rachel Finch walk in. This is an entirely contained pageant in America, but it is America's largest pageant competition. And I think it's really interesting how this has all come about because... 
This is an attempt of pageant culture trying to keep up with the rest of the world and it's trying to remain relevant. And for the first time in a century, they are getting rid of this segment. It was super controversial when it first came in in the 1920s. And I think it's really incredible that in 2018, for the first time, they're saying, you know what, we don't need to get these girls to walk up in heels and in a bikini, which I'm sorry, is the most ridiculous attire in the world. Who wears heels with a bikini unless you're on Love Island? I was going to say, and yet Love Island is your favorite TV show. (laughs) I think it's important that we put this in context because I think at the end of last year, Huffington Post ran a story leaking the emails of pretty high execs at the Miss America competition. And one of the most, or a couple of the most senior people in um, that team were openly, well, not even openly, but behind closed doors, slut shaming, fat shaming, any, a lot of the women and a lot of the contestants. And it came across pretty terribly. And I think this was all happening around the same time that the Me Too movement really launched. Mm. And I think it's really important for us to note that although it's all good and well for them to say, you know what, after a hundred years, let's get rid of these swimsuits. They don't really serve a purpose anymore. The timing is quite peculiar and quite... Well, yeah, it is. But what else do you expect them to do? So it was the CEO, the former CEO, Sam Haskell, who had his emails leaked and who was a complete misogynist in those emails, as you said. But isn't it great that they've taken that on board and want to change? Yes, it's curious timing, but I think I would take them wanting to change over any other alternative. No, of course. I just think that everything, every decision is made in context and Mm. not that wasn't mentioned a whole heap in the conversations about these swimsuits getting rid of mm. but the, as them getting rid of these swimsuits, sorry. So I think it's important that we just add that to the discussion. Yeah, of course. And there's another layer to that as well, that when Sam Haskell did leave, one of the leading people involved in the Miss, Miss America organization is Gretchen Carlson, who that name might be familiar to you if you followed what happened at Fox News in 2016. Gretchen Carlson she does have a history with Miss America. She won it in 1989, but she's the woman who quit Fox News in 2016 after accusing the chairman, Roger Ailes, of sexual harassment. She then sparked a huge Me Too movement in Fox News itself, prompting six more women to come forward and accuse Ailes of the exact same behavior. Not only did she then get him fired, she then received $20 million payout from the company. Yeah, no, that is pretty huge. And to have somebody like her at the helm of, a, of, a, of an institution like Miss America is very important. I think where I always feel conflicted, and I think this is the biggest question and the biggest sort of internal struggle I have feminist-wise, is if someone, if something has been sexist or if something has been really – if something has objectified women for a really, really long time, can we take it out of that context and rebrand it and see it as something new? So I think the best example I can give is – having your father walk you down the aisle. And this is sort of a a conversation I have with a lot of people is that that traditionally is a really, I guess, sexist act because it is essentially getting a man to hand you over to a new man. And I think now I've, I've sort of come a long way and thought, well, maybe we can remove it from its origins and see it in a new context and just see it as something that stands as it is, a long held tradition that I can personally remove the sexist elements from. But then when it comes to Miss Universe, can we do the same thing? So they've removed the swimsuit competition. Can we see it as a competition? And we should also note that they've tried to rebrand from pageant to competition as something that doesn't, is, is not a product of its history and can stand alone as something separate, as something that's good for women. After the drama last year with Sam Haskell's emails, they did bring on an entire new team to <laughs> rebrand them and figure out how to make them relevant because viewership and interest has been massively declining. Since 2015, they have lost over a million average viewers in the country tuning 
listening into their show. But do you think that it can stand alone? Like, can it be something entirely separate from how it's always existed? No, I don't think it can. And I don't watch pageants and I have no interest in pageants. Sorry, a competition. (laughs) And I don't understand it. But I think we in Australia don't have a very strong pageant culture, whereas the US does. I actually used to work quite closely with a girl who was competing in Miss Universe Australia and made it to the finals. And she did it for consecutive years. And I remember for her, she would always say that it was about confidence and about um, articulating yourself and about charity and about helping people in need. But at the very crux of it, to me, it's still rooted in this idea of very rigid standards of what makes a woman worthwhile. And those standards are speaking politely and meekly and how you're supposed to speak in front of men, scantily clad women walking around in front of men and talking about world peace. I think we can try and wrap it in as many different ways as we want to. And we can try and say it's about confidence and owning the skin you're in. But I have not seen a woman above the size of a size eight on those well, pageant catwalks. exactly the point. I think you can, you can wrap it in all of those things and you can try to rebrand it in any way you want. But at the end of the day, when you look at these stages, it's still the same kind of woman standing there saying the same kind of thing. I thought it was really interesting that even though Miss America is not neatly entwined with the Miss Universe pageant, that when we had these conversations this week in Australia, Miss Universe Olivia Rogers was called upon to give her comment across the board, across the media, because I think regardless of the fact they aren't the same, owned by the same people, it's exactly the same concept. And her perspective really surprised me. So in an interview with Ben Fordham on 2GB, she said, I absolutely love this aspect. I think it's an awesome opportunity to show that you can be intelligent and confident and beautiful and rock a bikini and not be sexualized. It's not a fitness competition. They're not judging every part of your physique, you know, whether or not your boobs are big enough. It's looking at the girl as a whole and how you carry yourself, showing how confident you are and that you're happy in your own skin. Now, I have no issue if that's how she feels about it and that's how that's how she's justified in her own head, her love of getting out there in a bikini. But I have such an issue with the idea that that you are walking on stage in heels and in a bikini. By definition, you're being sexualized. Otherwise, why take off your clothes? Mm. I think you can absolutely show that you love the skin you're in without taking your clothes off. Mm. Like what about just sashaying on there, having a conversation? Is that not just loving the skin you're in why does it have to actually be so literal in that showing your skin has to be the reason that you love your skin does that make sense you've got thousands of pairs of eyes on you as well it's not as if you're just doing this for yourself and this is some type of journey of self-discovery this is a performance and it's It's a a parade it's a parade of beautiful women dressed in not not very much clothing for the pleasure of I would say men I mean we need to keep in mind that especially pageant culture in America is embedded with men like Donald Trump he used to own Miss Universe yeah I think the Miss Universe yeah so he is heavily involved and invested in these kind of competitions and these are the kinds of men and the kinds of people who are really investing their dollars to make sure that these girls can get up on up on those stages and can take their clothes off if you want to compete in a pageant that's your right you are more than welcome to it's just not something that I find interesting it's not something that I think is necessarily good for women I don't think it has enough substance to really be relevant again no I don't think it does either and I think it all all comes down to this classic crux of if a man's not doing it then it's probably not good for women there are no man competitions as they're trying to rebrand it there's not men parading down the downstairs in bikinis or whatever it may be and so I think by definition they can like we said wrap it in any 
way they want to, but I don't think the competition has evolved in such a way that we can say it's really important and empowering for women to join the parade. And if you want to do a talent competition, I recommend you go on X Factor or The Voice. It will be interesting to see exactly how the next competition is received and in comparison how the next Miss Universe competition is received when there is this bikini component still there. time for my favorite segment it is time for zara mcdonald to host the quick and dirty every week we give you a rundown of the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle we cover the top five stories that might have slid under your radar you ready to go i'm ready to go my first story my first cab off the rank moving on already kendall jenner kissed anwar hadid amid ben simmons relationship from news.com they're not together. Kendall and Ben Simmons clearly are not together. Clearly, They were papped together, what, twice? I think it was, to be honest, three or four times from three or four different nightclubs and then they were riding their bikes once. But probably all cleverly staged shots. If I had a pap following me around when I was the age of 20 at nightclubs, I would have had many boyfriends. Oh, <laughs> oh people chasing you around. No, but like you, there were plenty of guys during your early 20s where you would go and kiss them at nightclubs or hang out with them for a week How and then it would she? end. She's only 20 or 21. Yeah. So Anwar Hadid is obviously the younger brother of Gigi and Bella, which is just a funny and interesting concept as it stands. Because if one of my friends was kissing my younger brother, I tell you what, they'd get a little undercut to the chair. To the stomach from me. Older brother, you'd be like, whatever. That happened in our friendship group yeah. when we were younger, that some of the girls would just kiss. But younger brother stomach. is like... Mm-mm. Younger brother's a bit weird. Especially when you're someone like Kendall Jenner who can have anyone, anyone in the world, and she goes for one of her best friends, younger brother. What a yeah. cracker. Um, yeah, I don't know. Poor, poor Ben Simmons, the Aussie bloke we thought made good by joining the Kardashian clan. Yeah, I know. He won't be under the Kardashian curse now. But I like Kendall. <laughs> so go sexist kiss, of you. <laughs> Kendall, go kiss as many guys as you want. You're young. Do okay, I'm, I don't think she's listening, but I'll pass it on. <laughs> Number two, hot felon Jeremy Meeks and girlfriend welcome baby boy from Stuff. This story has gone on since what, 2014 when Hot Felon first went viral? Yeah, it's one of one of the stories that I love the most because it's so absurd. Hot Felon is obviously the guy that had that really hot mugshot that everybody got fell in love with. And it's one of those stories that I kind of love the world has bandwagoned on together. Like it's a mm. journey we've all gone on together. We've seen Hot Felon grow up. And, and by we- grow up, I mean cheat on his wife and <laughs> leave her for an heiress. And we all have a little bit of like, should we be following this story? Should we be glamorizing a criminal? And then we decide, yes, we absolutely should. Well, he did go to jail on possession of firearms. He didn't kill anyone. No, he didn't. <laughs> didn't He's not the best guy. <laughs> I can handle that. I can handle that judge. Anyway, his girlfriend obviously is now Chloe Green, who is the top shop heiress, as the Daily Mail loved to refer to her. Are we still calling her girlfriend or mistress? No, no, no. Well, he's not married to his to his chick anymore. There was a significant wife. overlap. Of course, but he's not. she's not a mistress anymore. Okay. Girlfriend. Also, I'm just reading the headline. <laughs> that baby will be wealthy and good looking. I still feel really sorry for his ex-wife. Yeah. How many kids do they have together? Like a handful. A lot. Like and a little clan. There. She was there before he went viral. He was viral as the hottest criminal to ever live. And now he's dating or with a woman and has a child with her who has billions of dollars to her name. That poor ex-wife. 
wife. Tell you what, that you call that? It's good business. <sighs> Hung out to dry. <laughs> you guys should go look up that entire story. The timeline of Hot Fallon is something to Maybe behold. we should put one together. <laughs> maybe I should write one. Yeah, maybe. That would be a work of art. Hey, number three, a former Bachelor star, Nikki Gogan, and I know you'll say Gogan, so let's just leave that, <laughs> just quietly announced she has a boyfriend from Mamma Mia. That is so exciting. I'm so okay, happy. Okay, another story that I love for the same reason in that I feel like all of Australia has been holding on for this. I don't think anyone is more loved than Nikki Gogan. I know that um, we are having the gold logies come up soon, or sorry, the gold logies going to be given out soon. Why is she not a contender for that prize? I'm pretty sure the entire population of Australia would love to see Nikki win a gold logie just for being I don't, the most down to earth. That's an insult to Nikki Gogan to assume that the gold logie is the best honour we can give her. Assume, we are Australia. We don't give have her the much. order of Australia or something. Yeah. She is no. We should we should say so. She uploaded a photo on Instagram. It was all black and white. His face wasn't in the shot, but she was sort of hugging him a little bit, and it sort of hinted towards having the best birthday ever because of this guy. I am. Her hair looked great. Let me I am that. so glad she's done with Richie Strawn. I was never quite a fan. Um, so <laughs> I just can't wait to see who this person actually is. Yeah, and I really loved that we've seen a few reality stars in the last fortnight come out, announce their new relationships, tag their partner, make it very clear that they want people to go look at their partner. Tracy Jewell. Stop- yeah, we're talking about <laughs> Tracy Jewell from Married at First Sight. But it's And then they ask for privacy and go, yeah, this is my new boyfriend. We're in love. We've been dating for two days, but don't go looking at what we're doing don't stalk us don't okay literally tracy jewel's the only person that has done that <laughs> other people have done it before where they've yeah. they've given information but then said don't follow me don't pry into my personal life whereas i really like nikki she's so real and down to earth because she just did not give a tag to him she did not name him she obviously wants to keep it private and i really bloody respect that and i think we can say even just from personal and professional experience she is hard to get a handle on and a hold of if you want to interview her if she wants to like the media chase her down all the time to talk and she won't. I know we have multiple times for mm. different stories and she so politely turns interviews down because she just doesn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. Mm. So good on her. Number four, Brody Jenner says he's disappointed dad Caitlyn Jenner missed his wedding from people. That statement that he gave mm. was kick us. I would be so angry if my father missed my wedding for a work commitment, which is the excuse that Caitlyn Jenner gave for not being there at Brody's wedding. So it was a it was a ball in Austria. I think one of the biggest fundraisers for HIV and AIDS across the world. That being said, surely there's more to this than Caitlyn just skipping on her son's wedding. Yeah, it's just like the relationship has to be very, very fractured beyond repair. And who knows what led to that? For sure. If Brody needs to come out and give a statement to people saying that he's not surprised that his own father did this, it's an indictment on Caitlyn Jenner. I don't know her story. I don't know what's been going on for the last 12 months very much. She hasn't been on my radar a lot, but I just don't think it's it's not a great look to miss your own son's wedding. Of course, it's a terrible look, but it's also not a good look for Brody Jenner to come out and slam her as well. I don't think it's just an indictment on Caitlyn Jenner. I would say it's an indictment on the relationship. I'm not going as far to say it's an indictment on one or the other. Yeah. Brody Jenner was big enough to invite Caitlyn to his wedding. So he clearly wanted his dad there and she didn't go. So what I did find really interesting was that Brody also said that he invited both of his sisters to his wedding. So Kendall and Kylie, and they didn't even bother to RSVP. Yeah, but this, I feel like this is, really, this is funny that we've taken such um, separate... 
I don't know, looks at this at this story because to me, I looked at that and thought, that's just clearly an optimist or an opportunist here who clearly, clearly doesn't have very good relationships with his family, but wants to just see. Also, it's a good look for him is he, if his very, very, very famous sisters and very famous family members turn up to his wedding. Like it gives his wedding more publicity, and he's already sold it to people. So I just, I'm super skeptical. I have to say, <laughs> that's true. I just feel sorry for old Brody. Remember when he was on the hill? Oh, and I don't feel sorry Brody for him. From the hills and now look at what's happened no one knows who the hell he is anymore his own family is too famous to hang out with him to his credit i still think he's the hottest one brody yeah he's out of the entire jenna kardashian family definitely (gasps) i mean wow that's another rabbit hole number five (laughs) picture exclusive in capital letters anna heinrich stuns in this is going to take me seven hours to read out this headline anna heinrich stuns in couture stephen khalil dress as she marries tim robards in a beautiful italian ceremony <laughs> five years after falling in love on the bachelor australia from the daily mail obviously. of course it's from the daily mail if it's an essay of a headline you know where it's from you can just know do you need to take a deep breath are you out of oxygen after i kind of do the, the stephen khalil dress was lovely it was gorgeous and my favorite part about this entire thing was that clearly daily mail paps were at the wedding trying to get photos of hannah and her wedding planner was trying to shield her every way she knew how she was like spreading her arms across anna's body and across her dress so that paps couldn't get a shot she held a clipboard over anna's face so they couldn't get the photo and you made a really good point about this to me yeah well i just saw that straight away and was like well clearly i would i have a hunch that they just would have sold these photos so just to another magazine so it's not a good look if they're getting out before you know the 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 magazine can come out but i have to say those that image of of the wedding planner jumping in front of Anna is sort of like the modern day taking a bullet. Oh, I, love like, it. I love it so much because she looks so distressed and so unusual. Uh, I agree with you. I think they will be selling this. They did uh, spread with Stella magazine over the weekend and that was very stylized and they were clearly paid for it. So it'll be really I interesting. I did hear too that they were shopping around their engagement photo shoot a year ago. So they are ones who are very partial to an endorsement deal, particularly with a magazine. And no judgment there. I mean, Zoe Foster Blake and Hamish Blake sold their wedding to a magazine way back in, I think it was 2012 or 2013. Hey, I think that's all I've got. Thank you, Zara. Just a bit of a heads up before this next segment. We will be discussing suicide. If that's going to be triggering for you, please skip forward to the next segment. We will put in the show notes when the next segment starts so you can jump right forward. Do you, when you walk past a Kate Spade shop today or, or see a bag, do, do you, do you feel emotion, an emotional attachment to it or, or is it sort of like, well, you know, that, that's a different thing now. It's funny because I, I do look at it and I don't, people said, oh, do you have any regrets? And I remember thinking, oh, I hope I don't. And I never have. And I think they've done such a good job that luckily I don't have to have. And we do walk by the stores, and I have a funny story that we actually walked into a store to buy my daughter something, and we went to the cash register, and she said, are you on our mailing list? And I said, <laughs> um, I don't think so. And, and so then I used my maiden name, and I said, she said, Brosnan, and then my daughter kind of kept nudging me. She was dying for me to say something, and I didn't, and then I remember thinking, you know, no, I'm not on your mailing list, but I think I helped create it. <laughs> 
week, the fashion world and in truth, the whole world mourned the loss of fashion designer Kate Spade. She was a wife and a mother and a woman of immense talent who took her own life at the age of 55. The ensuing coverage has been intense and at times a little grotesque. Mish, do you think the aftermath of Kate's death proves we still don't know how to handle celebrities and their mental health? Absolutely. I've been very outspoken this week in private circles anyway, not online, about the coverage on Kate Spade and her suicide. And I think as someone with mental illness myself, I do still find it very challenging that the media and readers are so titillated by the thought of a celebrity having a mental illness compared to a physical illness. Mm. And I say that because as someone who works in the media – I know that a headline is more grabbing if it's ex-celebrity has schizophrenia rather than ex-celebrity has asthma. I know that mental illness is still shrouded in guilt and shame and it carries around this really black fog of mystery and curiosity. And as much as we talk about mental health and physical health being equally important and equally valid, I think when these stories pop up, it's crystal clear that we still have a long way to go in how we discuss mental health and how we put people affected by mental health in terrible positions just to get clicks and to get attention and to generate income for media companies. I think there are definitely a couple of angles to this um, that prove that we still do not know how to handle these kind of situations, that it's sort of all smoke and mirrors. We talk about we need to be um, really understanding of people with mental health. We need to hug our friends, hug your family. But at the end of the day, the media are showing in the last few days in particular that they don't know how to do this um, responsibly either. I think what really piqued my interest in the last day or two in the couple of in the ensuing days after she died was reports of her friends coming out and anonymous sources saying that Kate Spade, you know, may have had problems with alcohol. And I remember immediately reading that thinking how and in what way is that helpful? Like, what is the point of that story apart from being a really gross invasion of privacy? I mean, if if it's trying to raise awareness about mental health, if it's trying to talk about, you know, ways to avoid, um, getting to a point where you feel really lost and where you feel like you don't have another avenue to go, then I guess I understand it a little more. But for me, I just started to read things like that and think, I don't understand the point. Very similar to the the reports about the apparent or the reported note that she left for her young daughter and how that was leaked. I am appalled, truly appalled. Um, it was interesting to me that, that Kate Spade's husband, Andy Spade, didn't deny the contents of that letter. He just said he hadn't read it, which made me even more upset, I think, because then clearly it was correct. Mm. And I think the letter was pretty short and sharp, but I mean, and again, no point us even going over the details of it. I just was really, really shocked that a really private note between a mother and a daughter is now my business. Yeah. And I think the part that struck me most was the quick turnaround that it was not even 24 hours that this woman had lost her life. This woman who has a very young daughter who has a who has family and friends and people who love her. And in the space of 24 hours, her experience and her mental illness and her death is generated into clicky headlines that serve no other purpose than to get people onto websites. And the ones that really upset me the most were the ones that brought her 13 year old daughter into it. Mm. And I think the media has a responsibility 
and it's hard when you're in when you're in the day and you're in uh, the business of finding articles and getting content up and finding stories. It's tricky to see the line, but I think the line should have been that a 13 year old girl was involved in this. Someone who isn't an adult yet, someone who might not have even had her first period yet, and we are putting her on an international stage that is so damaging and so sensitive, and we're turning her into the story. So to see headlines about um, the 13 year old daughter simply based on her, she's not the news story here. No, and I think all we need to do is look at quotes of, of, of Prince Harry in the wake of his mother's death and how he how troubled he was by the media coverage that focused so heavily on him and Will and how long, years and years and years, it took for him to actually like appropriately deal with that trauma to look at, to, to consider what we might be doing by putting someone so young like Kate Spade's daughter back in the limelight. I think I also struggle in these kinds of stories when Kate Spade's story now becomes her death rather than her life. And I remember when I first heard this story and I woke up to the news story and I think we both said the same thing and I never bought a Kate Spade bag. I only saw a couple of stores in Australia, but it wasn't as big down here, I don't think, as, as it was in the US. But I was really, really sad because only in the last year, um, NPR did this brilliant interview with her in How I Built This, um, a podcast about how entrepreneurs built their businesses from nothing. And we and both love that podcast. So, we so much. Wrap that up, yeah. And Kate and Andy Spade did, a, did an interview with them about a year ago, and it was one of the most brilliant things I've ever listened to. They just came across like sunshine. Like she came across as the most likable, most uh, fun. They came across as the most stable and the most um, together couple ever. And I just think that was the first thing I thought of is the person that I'd heard in that interview. I felt really sad that that this is the story now. So I think first and foremost, if you're reading this story and have no context, I would so recommend, we will put this in the show notes, go back and listen to how I built this with Guy Raz with Kate and Andrew Spade, just to get an insight into the person that she was, which I think is so much more important than the silly stories that are being reported now. But you, you were really affected by that interview too, right? Yeah. And I love that podcast we obviously listen to that because it's all about self-made entrepreneurs and it's all about business people and the empires and the companies that they built and that really stuck with me that interview I really listened to it this week and I really enjoyed it and I was obviously a little bit haunted by some of the things that were said in there there was a quote about her anxiety I think and her being a born pessimist and I I think what I really want to see come out of this in the coming weeks and perhaps I'll write about this myself now that I'm even thinking about it but I I think it's really important we discuss the link between people with anxiety and suicide. We don't often think about that. We often think of anxiety as the cushy sister to depression or to other mental health problems where it's not so serious perhaps, but there's increasingly a really strong link between people with anxiety and suicide. And I think Kate Spade is a woman who had anxiety. Her husband and her sister have both acknowledged that. And I think that's potentially what we really need to discuss, that when someone tells you they have anxiety, it's not like they've got the fashionable mental illness. It's not like they've got the most stylish one. They've got something that is really quite serious and that can lead to the same consequences that depression and bipolar disorder and other mental health problems have. And I think that's where we need to take this conversation. Instead of focusing on her 13-year-old and focusing on what the note said, we need to remember this is a human at the crux of this story. And if we need to turn anything out of this, it needs to be something helpful so that other people, whether they're celebrities, whether they're people reading these articles, they can take away that there is help out there, that you can get better 
and that this isn't a good answer? No, that it is just a tragic and avoidable loss. Mm. And I think her older sister, and this has been really interesting in the last few days, her older sister has, has come out and has done, an, done interviews with a few different media outlets. And she has said that she believes that Kate Spade didn't get as much help as she probably should have in fear that it would hurt her brand because it would be made public. Now, Andy Spade has come out and denied that and said that she did did get help and was being treated for this. But I think that idea, whether true or not, is actually a helpful conversation for us to have about celebrities who are haunted by their own fame and so much so that they will not get help medically, whether it be for mental or physical illness, for fear that it's going to be leaked to the press. I know even we spoke about Hugh Grant last week, who in the Leveson Inquiry in 2011 spoke about how, how he couldn't even, even attend the birth of his child because he felt like he was it was going to be leaked. I know Mariah Carey, when she came out with bipolar a couple of months ago, said she only came out in fear that someone would expose her first. Mm, and you wrote a really good piece about this that I really enjoyed on Mama Mia, and we will link that in the show notes because I think that piece really did illustrate that, yes, these people are celebrities, but at the crux of it, they're, they are also humans. And if the media and if the paparazzi economy is trying to catch out these celebrities at rehabilitation clinics, at psychologists, at whatever physician they're seeing to try and get help for their mental health, that should not be a story. That should be something that we draw the line at and we say those photos are not in the public interest. Mm. We have no business knowing who sees what psychologist when. We have no business knowing if someone's getting help for their alcohol or drug addiction. Something where if we prioritize ourselves and our own brief three-minute intervals of interest of reading a story and seeing a paparazzi shot of Lindsay Lohan or Amanda Bynes or Britney Spears at the front of a rehab clinic, what does that serve? It gives me three minutes of entertainment and it potentially destroys lives of celebrities who are trying to legitimately get help for their legitimate mental health problems. No, and I think this is what has always been the issue with tabloid media. And I think it is really time that you're right. Those lines are drawn because I think it has become such a spectacle for for people to be papped outside their rehabs or to be papped, you know, struggling. Even you might see someone like Amanda Bynes clearly struggling in some sort of really strange scenario that we might not understand out of context and therefore it makes a good photo or it makes a good headline. But I think it's probably a really good time, like you said, not just to have conversations about anxiety and suicide, but also to have conversations about how potentially the media, what the media's role is in all of this. Mm, And the more we sensationalize mental illness, the more damage we do. If we're going to talk the talk that mental illness is as important as physical illness, we need to treat it that way in the media and we need to really walk the walk when we do that. Well, and I think that's what I've struggled with so much in this coverage is it's just felt so disingenuous about how, oh, uh, we need to take this stuff seriously in one headline and how, you know, the warning signs or the things that we should know. And then in the next headline as well, talking about perhaps her alcoholism or perhaps the, the details of that note. And it just, it just seems so at odds to me. Mm, it's really gross. If you or a loved one is struggling, help is always available. If you're in Australia, the Lifeline contact number number is 13 11 14. Welcome to my channel. Today I'm going to be talking about a very touchy subject. I think it's going to be a great video and it definitely needs to be talked about because I don't believe that the general population and the fans of these fitness girls understand how prevalent PED use is in our industry. And maybe you don't realize it, but it's possible that all of the girls in this video have taken PEDs to look the way they do. 
Have you ever looked at a photo of a fitness influencer and thought, how? Well, judging by a YouTube video floating around the internet at the moment, the hows and whys of these women looking so impossibly good may boil down to something you've never even considered. Steroids. Yes, according to Jordan Camilla, something of a whistleblower in the fitness industry, some of the women we follow online are achieving their bodies not just through working out and eating healthily, but with the help of human growth hormone and other performance-enhancing drugs. Zara, were you surprised to watch Jordan's video? Yes, but not probably for the reason that you were. I have said this a couple of times on the podcast in that we live in little echo chambers on Instagram. And because I don't follow many fitness influencers, they therefore don't come up in my search bar or in my explore bar. So it's just sort of like another world that exists outside the Instagram bubble that I sort of inhibit. I was surprised at how widespread it seemed to be and how many young women are appearing to, and I think we should be careful with that, but appearing to take steroids in order to live up to a totally different body image ideal that has suddenly sort of infiltrated the Instagram game, which is that really fitspo look, you know, that really fit, strong which I just said. (laughs) I don't know how to say it. And we should be uh, really clear with this because obviously when you think of steroids, I know in my mind before I watched this video and before I investigated a little bit as to the prevalence of steroids in the female fitness influencer community, I thought of steroids as something that only those really big guys at my gym take, that those bodybuilding men who look like not even humans, they look like the Hulk. I thought that steroids was something they take and no one else outside of that. So I was really fascinated to see this woman, Jordan Camilla, talk about human growth hormone and talk about how women are using it. So she said that women obviously take a smaller dose because what what human growth hormone does is it increases lean muscle mass while burning fat, but it also increases your level of testosterone. Mm. So they do take a small amount, but the reason a lot of these women look so shredded and lean, not bulky necessarily, but just like God, super good abs, super big ass is another big one that's really associated with it. That is because a lot of these women are taking illegal substances to actually get those bodies, their bodies to that level. It reminds me a lot of the, the conversation that we had very early on in one of our episodes about plastic surgery and the responsibility that famous women or influencers have in, in disclosing the kinds of surgeries they've had on their faces or their bodies. Because I think it's, it's sort of this entire fraudulent activity that's going on underground. And I think it's particularly troubling to me when I went on to a lot of these accounts and (laughs) ventured into this other world where a lot of them are uh, the face or taking money or endorsing supplement brands. And I think that is where I am, like I said, very troubled by the idea that they're willing to take money to advertise for supplements on the, you know, um, promise to their followers that if you take this supplement, you'll look like me. And yet there is a whole lot of illegal substances going on inside their bodies that are making them look like that. Yeah. And it has a lot to do with the whole transformation culture. I think Kayla Itzinus, which I've only recently been informed, it's not Itzinus, it's Itzinus. I have told you this for years. <laughs> You've just been too stubborn. So Kayla Itzinus really built her brand off before and after photos. And I'm not saying those followers take human growth hormone at all. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that these women who have built their brands on this is what I looked like in 2015 and this is what I look like now 
if it's an incredible transformation, there could very well be steroids behind that and there could very well be illegal substances and injections. These women have to inject themselves weekly to achieve these looks. And I think that's really fascinating. Obviously, you said you're not in this circle in Instagram. Mm. I am. I, for whatever reason, don't know, maybe a psychologist needs to analyze my brain. I find fitness influencers and the fitness industry so friggin' fascinating. I want to look at everything they're doing. I follow women like Whitney Simmons so closely simply because I really enjoy going to the gym and I really enjoy seeing their workouts and I kind of take them with me. So if they've given a workout out on Instagram, I will be the person to follow them and then take that and do that workout in the gym. So I was the one who brought this idea to you because I do follow these fitness influencers. And when I stumbled on this video on YouTube, I was blown away to see that some of the women I follow and have followed for years potentially are using steroids. Yeah, it's a pretty scary thought, not just because God knows what you're putting in your body when you're doing stuff like that. But I think it makes so much sense when you look at the before and afters because we are being sold a consistent lie about what our bodies are actually capable of doing. And I think when this is, you know, on a similar thread, but when Jordan Camilla did another video that we both watched this morning about Kylie Jenner and her Kylie Jenner potentially getting some Brazilian butt lift or whatever. And you look at the before and after photos and you think, well, of course, nobody can just do that. Nobody can actually transform in such a way where you look like an entirely different human. And I think that's what we've lost the ability to do is to be able to look at these before and afters and say, well, is that actually scientifically possible naturally? Because I, I think our it, because everybody is doing it and because it's so widespread, the bar is in, is in a totally different place. Yeah. And I remember there were memes going around a few years ago about, I wish puberty did this to me with Kylie Jenner on one side at 18 <laughs> and on the other side, still at 18, looking like two different bodies. That's a mil- that's what millions of dollars. Yeah. And it does. plays into the hands of so many commercial brands. I mean, if a supplement company can come out and say, we'll build you this booty or we'll shred you or do whatever. And they get these influences with millions of followers behind these brands to push them and say, oh, this is how I transformed myself. It just is ridiculous that so many women are funneling their dollars into these brands that are selling fake promises and these women who are selling fake promises. So I want to read out a quote from the YouTube video, which is all of the women in this video look fantastic and beautiful, but is it normal? Is it healthy? And is it realistic for you and I? to see these girls and buy their programs blindly, truly believing that a 30-day squat challenge will build you a booty from nothing. It's true. And that is so spot on. And I found another point really fascinating that you guys can look out for if you do follow fitness influencers, that there's now a new term to distinguish people who don't use steroids to those who do, and that's natural athlete. So if someone has on their Instagram bio or in their Instagram posts or in their videos that they are a natural athlete, what they're telling you is my peers often take steroids and I'm against it. Yeah. I mean, which is easy to say (laughs) as well. I'm a natural athlete too. Hey, what I did find interesting when we're talking about this kind of stuff, and I know we're talking about female influencers and fitness influencers potentially taking steroids, but it reminded me a lot of locally when Kayla Etzinas' partner or now fiance, Toby Pierce, was caught with uh, steroids in his car. 
and what that does to the brand of Kayla or what that should do to the brand of Kayla. Because obviously Kayla and Toby have built this empire together on transforming women's bodies in a really natural way via exercise and a couple of squats. And that did not dint their brand really in any way because she is overwhelmingly the face of that company. But it did make me think there are so many people like Kayla and Toby who are building entire businesses around this transformation culture and our desire to be and transform our bodies. But it did make me think, what about all of these people who are potentially building businesses around something that's not even real? Yeah. Um, and I, I remember talking to a model friend of mine, someone who used to model quite a few months ago, and she was talking about how when she joined a modeling agency, there was a real culture of having to purchase a few Instagram followers to boost your profile, profile, potentially get invited to some parties. And, you know, it's sort of a knock on effect from there. And I wondered when some fitness influencers, and you would know more about this than I do, get signed to certain labels or get signed to certain supplement culture companies, if there is a similar culture there, that there's sort of an encouragement to take this kind of stuff, because the bigger they are, the better the business is for the brand. Yeah. And I do think Gymshark and Alpha Elite really feed into this idea. So I'm sure some of the people listening will be familiar with Gymshark. It is a huge fitness company that sells active wear and it's massive across America. Basically how it works is they have a whole lot of influencers come on board. Whitney Simmons, who I mentioned before, is a Gymshark athlete. That's how they refer to themselves. And they've got a whole lineup. It's almost like the new Victoria's Secret that we're done with women being super, super skinny and unhealthy and the anorexia culture. And we're more into strong as the new skinny, I guess. So that these women are held up as the ideal because they work out all the time. They have great asses, what have you. So Gymshark Athletes is like this lineup of beautiful, toned, sculpted, fit women. And the whole way it works is that if you're a Gymshark athlete, you earn money through followers using your discount codes on Gymshark. So Whitney Simmons will give out her discount code or her purchase code. And if her followers go and buy all of these high-waisted leggings and sports bras that she's wearing, she generates huge, huge money. The, The amount of money in the fitness industry and in Instagram fitness industry culture is insane. And so these women and these Gymshark athletes and these alpha elites, they're all trying to sculpt their body to be the best body of the Gymshark athlete group. They're all trying to be the absolutely most toned. And I would not be surprised. I mean, some of the girls, I think three of the girls mentioned in Jordan Camilla's video are Gymshark athletes. And we can't be sure whether they're using steroids or not. We can't know. But the irony here is, is that we're looking at these women as the epitome of what health is. But steroids have huge side effects. Steroids can bring out nerve pain, joint damage, carpal tunnel syndrome, hypertension. It can promote the growth of cancerous tumors if you've got anything existing in your body. And I think this is what frustrates me about Instagram culture at the moment is that we're so... I reckon we're so saccharine about how strong is the new skinny and how it's so great that we're encouraging women to have big, strong bodies when at the end of the day, this is just an entirely different beauty ideal. Now it's not cool to be really skinny anymore. It's just cool to be strong and fit. And again, it's still, like I just said, we're still being sold a lie. So I think this entire thing is very, very frustrating because we're doing it in such a way where we feel like we're patting ourselves on the back and coming such a long way in encouraging women's empowerment and encouraging body image when I just think we're 
we're putting all our eggs in an entirely different basket. Yeah, and if women are injecting themselves I know, with it's steroids, probably even it's worse. Fucked. I mean, to starving yourself or injecting yourself. I mean, they're both yeah. just as dangerous. Absolutely. What I did want to finish on in this segment is what I found very curious about Jordan Camilla's video is I, I don't know if you scrolled down to the comment section in the YouTube video, but she copped a lot of hate for trying to have a conversation about this. And I think this comes back to when we tried to have a conversation about Sarah's day. And it's very, very hard for people to criticize young women in the public eye without being told that they're being hated or anti-feminist. Yep. And I think this is really interesting about how, how long we have to go because when Jordan Camilla tried to do something very helpful to young women, very, very helpful. And she had so many disclaimers in her video about saying, these girls are beautiful. These girls are great. They can do what they want. It's just important that you know what's going on behind the scenes, that that's still taken as something that is Jordan. What Jordan Camilla is doing is bad for women. Yeah. And I think we've said it before. We'll say it again. It's not don't do it. It's be honest about it. It's misleading to tell your followers that if they buy your booty guide, that they'll get (laughs) the ass that you have when in reality, you've got that ass by injecting yourself in your kitchen once a week. So it's just important to be honest and be transparent. And if you're misleading women, that's not good for women and you should be called out for it because we should get to a point where young women can hold each other to account and we shouldn't feel ashamed by the things we're doing to our bodies. We should have an open conversation about it so that we can really bring it to light because light is the best disinfectant for this bullshit. Yeah, I agree with that to the point that so long as it's not everyone's so open about it, it suddenly becomes normalized. But that's a conversation for when it actually, you know, does come become a bit more of an open conversation. When I start going out and shopping for human growth, (laughs) we can have that conversation. This is true. Hey, I reckon that's all we have time for today. I think it is. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 14. Please subscribe to Shameless in your podcast feed. That is how we help spread the word. That is how other people find our show. And that is how you earn our unrelenting love and affection. Not that that's probably something you'll ever you'll ever what they all for. Want. That is fine. <laughs> Don't forget, you can also take part in the conversation by joining our Facebook group. Search for Shameless Celebrity Gossip on Facebook and be our friend. Yay! You can also find us on Instagram. We are at Shameless Pod or on Twitter too. Or finally, you can email us at shamelessthepodcast at gmail.com because we are the queens of overkill. We are thirsty as fuck. Yeah, that's about it. Hey, we will catch you next week for episode 15. Bye, guys. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye. 